Hey there, thanks for listening to the Three Creeks Church podcast. Our church started meeting together in 2018 with four core values, truth, gather, serve, and love. In many ways, it feels like our church has restarted in 2021 due to the pandemic. But our four core values remain the same, truth, gather, serve, love. In this series, we're going through each one, one week at a time. To find out more about our church, to join a community group, or to give online, visit threecreekschurch.com. Well, good morning, Three Creeks. And uh, it sounds a little cliche, and it is a little cliche, but we want to be a loving church. This whole series that we have done over the last four weeks has been us revisiting the first series that we ever did as a church. It was called This Is Us. This one's called This Is Still Us. And I'm proud to say that, you know, as a church, we have, we have kept these four core values. We haven't switched them. We haven't changed them. We got them from the Bible. We feel like God said, like, this is what we want your church to be about. And we've stayed the course. And I'm, I'm proud of that. Today is week four of This Is Still Us. And I'm going to get into our fourth core value in just a minute. But I want to tell you something that our elders have decided to do as a church. We, uh, for the first time in Three Creeks history, are going to put an opportunity in front of everybody who calls Three Creeks Church their home uh, to be be a partner of Three Creeks Church, to, to go into the process of partnership. It's another word for membership. We get it from Philippians chapter 1. It's when Paul is talking to uh, the Philippians church and he says uh, that you have been partners in the gospel from the first day until now. And so we want to invite you into partnership. We've never done it. Uh, We've got a lot of people that have been kind of acting like it. But the more I've read and the more I've talked to some other pastors about partnership or membership or whatever you want to call it, the more excited I get because uh, one pastor in particular said it took us a while to do it too, but when we finally did it, when we finally had people go through this process of partnership, it was the biggest discipleship win in the history of our church. And so I'm very excited. Uh, There's going to be two meetings, October 20th, that's a Wednesday, November 21st, that's a Sunday night. We're going to take a trip down memory lane and meet in the basement of the River 104.9. Come on, somebody. We're going back, back home to the basement, and uh, that's where our our launch team meetings were, for those of you that are new around here. And it's going to be 90 minutes, and over the course of 90 minutes, we're going to talk about what it looks like for a Christ follower to commit to their church, what it looks like for a church to commit to the people that call Three Creeks home, and what it looks like for partners to to support and encourage one another. The commitment that you make to one another, everybody's going to get to make a personal spiritual growth plan. And you're going to kind of invite our, the elders of our church and some of our staff to journey with you. It's just a win-win all across the board. So I hope that you can come to one of those. Both of those are on weeks that we don't have community groups. And so again, Wednesday, October 20th, Sunday, November 21st. I hope that uh, if you could go to threecreekschurch.com at some point over the next week or two, uh, you can find a place to sign up. And we'd love to have everybody jump in on that. If you agree with us. On our, on, our, on our four core values. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about gathering. We grow best in groups. We're not designed to be alone. We don't thrive isolated. 
We need each other. That's one of our values. Number two is truth. Like, we believe that the Bible is true. We talked about, you know, Psalm 19 says that it revives the soul, and it gives wisdom, and it gives joy, and it gives insight for living. And so we talked about just going to this over and over and over, and let this be what, what guides our life as, the, as truth. And then last week, my wife Morgan talked about serve. She talked about My Village Ministries, which is a new partnership that we have with a, an organization here in Columbus. If you want to know more about My Village Ministries, if you want to know a lot more about it, you could go back and listen to last week's podcast or video. And then next Sunday, right after church on October 10th at 1130, there's going to be an information meeting. A bunch of you guys have already signed up. And if you want to know a little bit more, that's a non, you're not committing to anything by going to that meeting, but you could go find out more. That is next week. And today, we're talking about love. And it sounds cliche, and it is cliche that we want to be a loving church. What church doesn't have the core value of love? And so I want to take a minute to, to, I, to, to kind of define that at a little bit of a deeper level. I love love. I love talking about love. I love being in love. I love singing songs about love. I love making sure that you know that I love love. I'm, a, I'm, I'm in. I love love. Who doesn't love love? But love is messy because love, there's four different Greek words that all get translated to love. There's different kinds. The way that I love golf or Chipotle is different than the way that I love my wife. I love them both, but it is different. And so the best way I know how to describe it as far as how it manifests itself in me with our church is that we believe here at Three Creeks that whoever you are and wherever you're from and whatever you believe, you're welcome here at Three Creeks Church. If you have questions, so do we. If you are skeptical, sometimes so am I. If you have questions about God or church or Jesus, and if you are just trying to figure things out, you are, you're supposed to be here. This is the place that you're allowed to figure them out. Like wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and you're on one, Wherever you are in that, you're allowed to be exactly there when you come here to Three Creeks. You don't have to put on a face and act like somebody that you're not. You're allowed to be where you're at, and we love you, and I love you, and we want to be a loving church. And when I say that, I understand that there's got to be some people in the room that are like, yeah, we'll see. Time will tell. And the reason that we feel that way is because you and I have both probably interacted with a church or a Christian that didn't make you feel loved. It's one of the reasons why I didn't really want to be a pastor to begin with, was because I'd been around churches and Christians that didn't make people feel loved, that made them feel judged or rejected. And that just isn't the message of Jesus. It's not how he went about doing things. He spoke truth, but he spoke truth in love. This is, this is who Jesus was. And, and I'll just say this, you know, three and a half years in, we haven't aced it. We're not a perfect church. Not every person that's come in here has felt, you know, God's love on them, and, and I'm sure we've got it wrong from time to time, but I do, I do want to just take a moment to encourage you, if you've been a part of Three Creeks and you've been a part of some of these stories that I'm about to read, I want to celebrate the fact that I think we are a loving church. I was talking to somebody in our church named Amanda, and a few months ago she wrote me this. She wrote, 
Three Creeks means so much to myself and my family. I have never felt judged or pressured regarding my spiritual journey, but instead have been met with open arms and friendly faces and messages that help me understand the Bible and take a deeper look at myself. The friendships we've made through the church community have been one of the biggest blessings of my life. I'm so proud of Three Creeks that somebody feels that way. Another friend named Adam wrote this, to me, Three Creeks is a new beginning. It's an opportunity to find and discover my path with God in a non-judgmental way. I felt comfortable at each event, whether it be church or small group. I've never felt like my answers are wrong or dumb. I can just be myself. Yes. Three Creeks is a way for me to keep growing in many ways. Yes. You could just be yourself. Another, another friend named Josh, some of you guys know who this is, and if you do, you know that this is so true. I recently went through a season of life where I isolated myself from family, friends, and church. And during that time, my closest friends from Three Creeks kept pouring into my life and showing me the love of Christ. As I was going through the darkest years of my life, this community was a light. An authentic, vulnerable, intentional community has the power to change and save lives, and I know it because it saved mine. And so I say that to say, like, we haven't aced it, and we're not perfect. And I know people come in from time to time, and we forget to say hi because we were talking to somebody else. I get that that kind of stuff happens, but on the whole, I just am so, I'm so thankful that we're a church that I think that this is a place that you can ask questions. And I think this is a place that you can just be who you are, and you don't have to put on a face. And I just love that about our church. So the question today, three and a half years later, is how do we keep doing that? What's the fuel behind this heart to love, this heart to accept, this heart not to reject, but this heart to welcome people wherever they're at on their spiritual journey? No matter what their past is, no matter what they've done, how do we, how do we keep that going? What's the fuel? And this is what I'm going to share with you today. It's, it's that when we as a church, when we as individual people when we experience for ourselves the deep love of Jesus in our lives, it leaves us with a deep sense of gratitude. When we really think about what God has done for us, it leaves us with a deep sense of gratitude, of thankfulness. And it's from this very deep place of gratitude that we are finally able to love others like Christ loved us. It's when we receive the love of Christ and we actually take it in for ourselves and let it go all the way into us, then it's, it's the fuel that would propel us. In the words of Paul to the Corinthians, he writes that Christ's love compels me. Christ's love compels us. And so the, the way to keep going, the way to keep loving people is to stop for a second and take a whole Sunday morning and think about how much God loves us and let Christ's love compel us. If you have your Bibles, would you open them or turn them on and go to John chapter 8. I'm going to read you a story about the love of Christ. It's 11 verses long, John chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read all 11 verses and then I'll go back through and talk about it just a little bit on the back end. John chapter 8, Jesus... In verse 1, return to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. 
a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. A lot of ideas out there as to what he was writing. But they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. And he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. And Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I remember as a kid hearing this story just being like, I love this story. And then the, the older I've gotten and the more I've, I've learned about their culture and what this would have really been like, I just, I just love, I love this story. Because when Jesus, if you saw verse one, when Jesus started teaching in the temple, like at this point in history, if Jesus starts teaching in the temple, it's like they're, it's, it's like a viral, it, it, everybody hears about it. And everybody starts running to the temple because what's Jesus going to do next? Because he already fed 5,000 people with like two pieces of bread and some fish. He's already done all this amazing things. He's healed people. He's done miracles. He's cast demons out. And so when Jesus is teaching, people drop what they're doing if they're nearby to go and see, maybe today we're going to get to see a miracle. And so the crowd grows and grows and Jesus is sitting there teaching. And then he hears, move out of the way. And these Pharisees, they're constantly bugging Jesus. They're, they're, they don't, Jesus can't even see the woman. He can just see these Pharisees saying, move out of the way. And they make their way up through the crowd and people are having to move from side to side. And, and this woman, they just, they drag her. And finally, they, when they, they come to the edge of where the people are standing, they, they just throw her out in the middle. And the Pharisees, they're smart. They're so smart, and they waited until the whole crowd was there. They didn't do this in secret. They probably caught her the night before. They said, let's wait until there's a couple hundred people there, and then we'll really make a spectacle, and we'll show all these people that Jesus is a fraud. And they drag her out, and they say, Jesus, question for you. The law says stoner. So, so you're going to let us stoner? And they've all got... Two rocks in their hands. They're ready to throw. And Jesus says, it says he gets down. I mean, this is the most humiliating moment in her life. Think of the emotional roller coaster that she has been on for the last 12 hours. She's, she runs away with someone who's not her husband. 
Then she gets caught running away with somebody who's not her husband by people that can stone her. And then she gets brought in front of Jesus Christ, who she would have known about. Everybody knew this guy's name. And now all these people have rocks in their hands and they're literally about to kill her. It's, it's to make an understatement, the worst moment of her life. And Jesus gets down and starts writing in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. Somebody texted me today or this week and said, I wonder if he was writing down the names of people that the Pharisees had sinned with. I don't know. I don't know what it was. But they start bugging him. Jesus, hey, we asked you a question. Should we stone her? And I imagine because of how long Jesus has taken writing us, it doesn't say how long, but the, the Pharisees, their plan at this point so far is working. All the people are seeing that Jesus is a fraud. He's a fake. He's been exposed. And Jesus stands up. He goes, okay, fine. Let's stone her. But, the, and, and, and listen to this. Who gets to throw the first rock? Whoever is without sin, you get the honor of throwing the first stone at her. The, the one who is without sin gets to throw the first stone. Who is it? And then Jesus, he already knows the answer. And so he just puts his head down and keeps writing in the dust. The woman, I, I don't know for sure, the text doesn't say anything about this, but but I'm imagining that maybe her head is down. I'm imagining that she doesn't want anyone to make eye contact with her. In the most humiliating moment of her life, I imagine that she's on the ground with her head down, not looking at anything. And when Jesus says, whoever's without sin, you get to throw the first stone. Everybody else is looking around and, and it's, it's quiet. And the only two things that this woman can hear is Jesus' finger in the dust and then stones dropping out of people's hands. One drops, another one drops. It says that the older guys were the ones that first just kind of backed up. They dropped their stones and they just back up into the crowd. I don't know how long it took, but they all just kind of disappear and they all drop their rocks. Maybe there were 50 rocks on the ground. I don't know. But can you imagine when Jesus goes down and he, he picks her up and he adjusts maybe her, her robe that she's wearing and he kind of looks at her in the face and holds her face and says, hey, did, it, did anybody accuse you? And she kind of looks around and she doesn't see any of the people that caught her. All she sees is rocks on the ground. I just, I just think about this, like, this terrace, like, out in front of the temple, where it's kind of dirt, cement, and there's just, like, 50 or 60 big rocks on the ground. Like, that is the love of Christ. And, and she goes, no, I guess nobody wanted to accuse me. And Jesus looks at her and says, and neither do I. Go and sin no more. 
I mean, <laughs> you know, when you, when, you, when you hear that story, there's like three characters in the story. There's the, there's the Pharisees, there's Jesus, and there's the woman. And I think from time to time, the church, from those that are outside the church, we kind of get pegged as the Pharisees. We kind of get pegged as the ones with the rocks in our hands. We kind of get pegged as the judges, the projectors, the high and mighty, the holy, the ones that can figure out what everybody else's problems are, but we're not really willing to look at ourselves. That's what people think about us, whether it's true or not. That has been the reputation of us from those that are not in the church. But maybe the mistake that we make in the church is that we read this story and we think that we're the, the, the person that we can identify the most with is Jesus. Like if people would just listen to us, they'd be fine. Like we can save people. We've got, we've got some good advice to give. We're the lovers. We're the forgivers. But the reality is, is that the person that we can relate to the most in this story is we're the woman, you guys. Like we're the woman in the story. When I think about the things that I've said or done or thought, there's no way around the fact that I'm the woman, I'm the broken one, I'm the great sinner, and I'm the one in need of a great savior. I'm the woman. See, this woman, she, in, this is John 8, remember? This is John chapter 8. This woman would have heard about Jesus. The news about Jesus, it's, it's everywhere. People know about this person of Jesus and that his message is love and that he's doing miracles and he's helping people and serving people. This is the reputation of Jesus. And she would have known some of the things that he had said in his teachings. It was going around. And one of the things that Jesus said in John chapter 6, just two chapters earlier, we see it play out in John chapter 8, but you see the heart of Jesus in John chapter 6 when he said, this is what I'm going to be like, this is what I'm going to do. And so if you have a Bible, just flip over to John chapter 6. This is what Jesus said just two chapters earlier. In John chapter 6, verse 37, he says, all those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. No strings attached. You come to me, I will never, I will never drive you away. I will never reject you. I will never cast you out. I will never drive you away. And when you read this in the original Greek language that it was written in, there are two negatives piled on top of each other. So it should actually be literally translated this way. I will never, never drive you away. I will certainly not, no, never drive you away. And if you're anything like me, if you hear that verse and you think about your own life, I'm inclined to go, but I, and Jesus goes, I'll never, never, ever, ever, you come to me, I'll never drive you away. You'll never get this, you get this with Jesus. He says, I'll never drive you away. And you and I, 
You guys, we are limitless in our capacity to perceive reasons that Jesus would drive us away. As human beings, as people that live with sinful natures, we're limitless in our ability to perceive reasons that Jesus would want to drive us away. We're factories of resistance of Christ's love. Even when we run out of actual sins, specific failures as reasons that Jesus couldn't love us, we tend to retain a vague sense that at some point, Jesus will be tired of us and he will give up on us. We're, we're just... When you think about your own life, it just, it almost makes sense that at some point he's like, come on, get it together. How, how many times do I have to forgive you for that? In, in this book, Gentle and Lowly, that I've been, it's probably my favorite book of the year. Uh, the author, Dane Ortland has this hypothetical conversation with himself and Jesus. And, and as he listed out this conversation with Jesus, I thought, that's that's how I feel. That's a conversation I feel like I'm having with God, and I imagine that you might be the same. Let me just, let me just read you this back and forth between Dane and Jesus, and, and put yourself in Dane's shoes, where when we go to Jesus, approaching Jesus, we say, no, wait, you don't understand. I've really messed up in all kinds of ways. I know, Jesus says. Well, you know most of it, I'm sure, certainly more than others can see, but there's a perversity deep down inside of me that's hidden from everybody. I know it all, Jesus says. No, no, it's not just in my past. It's not just what I used to struggle with. It's in my present. I understand, Jesus says. But if I'm being honest, I don't know if I can break free anytime soon from it. That's the only kind of person I'm here to help, Jesus says. But the burden is heavier, heavier all the time. Well, then let me carry it, Jesus said. It's too much to bear, not for me, Jesus said. You don't get it. My sin isn't just against others. It's against you. Then I'm the most suited to forgive you. Jesus said. Listen, Jesus, the more you get to know me, the, the uglier you are going to find that I am. You are going to get fed up with me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, Jesus said. You guys, we can't present a reason for Christ to close off his love for us because no such reason exists. <laughs> Let me say it again. No such reason exists. So no matter how hard you've been trying and how much you have failed and how many mistakes you have made, no such reason exists. With Christ, it's our sins and our weaknesses and our failures that actually qualify us. It's the very resume that qualifies us to come and approach him. And if you look what the verse says, it says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I will never reject. I will never cast out. Whoever comes to me. It doesn't say, 
whoever comes to me with sufficient remorse, or whoever comes to me feeling bad enough about their sin, or whoever comes to me with redoubled efforts, whoever comes to me who has already tried a lot on their own, it simply says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. The most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity. This is crazy. The most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity is that we are declared right with God. We receive the love of God, not when we finally get our act together, but when we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. I, I, I talk to people. I invite them to church. Maybe once I get my act together. No, 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 no. You don't understand. You don't understand. It's, it's this moment when you can humbly acknowledge and go, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to do this. That is when you can finally receive the fullness of Christ's love on your life. The longer the list of sins that you're able to identify, the more grace can come into your life. And it gives Christ great joy to lavish his grace and love upon people. And so here at Three Creeks, you, you will never be told, at least by me, you'll never be told that your sins repel God from you. You will be told that your sins are actually what kind of draws God to you. When he, when he sees that you've made mistakes and you've messed up, that's, that's the moment that God comes in to go, hey, do you need a savior? Because that's who I am. I came to save you for your sins, not pat you on the back for your good behavior. Somebody say amen. For real though. And, and sometimes I feel like, okay, sometimes I feel like when I talk about how much God loves people, when I talk about the sacrifice of Christ or the love of Christ or the grace of Christ, there's this general like, I don't know, somberness or something about the room where we're like, we kind of sink into our chairs. We're like, yeah, almost like, I don't, I don't even know how to put words to it. It's almost like there's not a party going on right now. And I'm, I'm kind of confused. So I'm like, I'm looking at myself, like, do I need to practice more in the mirror and be more excited about God's love? Why are people, why are we, and I, and I speak for myself too, why am I hesitant or timid to receive God's love in my life. It's because everything that I, every, every else, everything else in my life says that I need to deserve it to get it. And almost like if we don't work for it or deserve it, we don't deserve it, so we shouldn't get it. And when I say, no, no, this is a free gift, we're like, well, I don't know if I should have that. This you should have. Like this, this overwhelming unbelievable love that God has for us, we should receive that today. We, there, there's no limit. And it, this, is, this is something else that Dane Orland wrote in that book. He goes, from time to time, don't we feel like we should draw on the grace and the love of God in a reasonable and measurable way, careful not to pull too much? It's, it's an honest question, right? Shouldn't we be reasonable and measurable? And he says, would a father who sees his child in an oxygen tank 
encourage his child to only receive the oxygen in a reasonable and measurable way, careful not to take too much? Like, would a father tell that to his child as he's gasping for breath? You guys, God is saying, everything that you want, I've got that and I've got more. All the forgiveness that you want, I've got that and I've got more. And when we experience, listen, when we experience this deep love of God in our lives, then it leaves us, it would lead us with not a deep sense of I owe you, but a deep sense of gratitude. (laughs) Thank you. And it's from this deep place of gratitude that we can love other people. And we can be the loving church that we all, I think, want to be. A place, a church that people can come and experience this love of God for the first time. A church where whoever you are and wherever you're from and whatever you believe, that you would be welcome in this church. As an act of celebration, as an act of thank you, like gratitude, we're going to take communion together. We're going to sing two or three songs together. So we're going to give you like maybe 10 or 15 minutes really to take communion whenever you want to. But when you take it, When you take communion today, if you're a Christ follower, if you've given your life to Jesus, if you are a Christian, then you get to take communion today. And when you do that, for for 26 years, I think, I kind of took communion like this, where, you know, there's the table, and it's just like, you know, and it's like, Have I thought about all my sin? And take it. And it's like real somber. And I'm not trying to take away the seriousness or the sacredness of it. But it would be very appropriate. I think, I think it would honor God if I took communion like this. <laughs> yeah, yes! Like all my, all of them, all, all of them. And dip it. Yes. Yes. Like that is an appropriate response to the gift that God gave us. Two weeks ago, my son has been begging for hockey sticks for like a year. He didn't even know what hockey is, but he wants hockey sticks. And so we went to Marshall's. We found two hockey sticks. And so I got him hockey sticks and I brought them home. It was a full-blown gift with no strings attached to him. And if Judah had received them like this, oh, really? Okay, I guess. Thanks, Dad. And he put them in the corner and he said, I don't know if I deserve to play with those. I haven't earned any money to buy those with. (laughs) I would be so sad as a dad. But it has filled my heart with great joy to hear him banging the walls in the basement for the last two weeks. I'm upstairs thinking about repairing the paint. Don't hit the TV. But by all means, Judah, play your heart out. I got you some hockey sticks. It was a full-blown gift. It was only for you, and you can use it however you want, as much as you want. They're for you, no strings attached. And he's down there just swinging the thing around, flips around, calls it a shooting gun. That is how a gift is supposed to work. And the father sits upstairs, watching the kids bang around on the walls, and goes, they get it. 
That was a no strings attached gift and they're using it. Praise God. So when we take communion today, you're not allowed to do this. You just receive the love of God in your life. During the whole time, we're going to have a prayer team in the back. We'd love to pray with you. If you're somebody that's going through something where you're like, man, I don't, I don't know if God can forgive that. Certainly don't feel loved. We'd love to pray with you. Anything else going on in your life? Big decisions to make? Just feeling the weight of life? I'm feeling the weight of life. We'd love to pray with you. The prayer team's there every week. If you're here this morning and you've never received this love of Christ in your life before and you want to give your life to Jesus and become a Christian, today's a great day to do that. Our prayer team's back there. We would love to pray with you. We would love it. I can't wait. We're going to sing some, some throwbacks about the love of God today. And it's going, to be, it's going to be a party in here because God loves us. You guys, God loves us. That's crazy. God, we receive it. I receive it today, God. You know better than me my list of offenses. And you say that I'm white as snow. And so, God, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sing today with my tail between my legs. I'm going to sing today with my hands in the air because I'm free. And, the, and you did that for me. I didn't do it for myself. God, I'm going to proverbially swing my hockey sticks around today. Because this was a gift with no strings attached. And you love when I use it. I pray for our church today that nobody would feel guilty, but that people would feel free because of the amazing, amazing, I will never drive you away, love of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can stand up. We're going to sing together, and at any point over the next two or three songs, you can take communion there or there. There's a gluten-free option and a single-serving option right in the back, right back there. Let's sing together. Thanks for listening. If you're a part of the Three Creeks family and want to commit to being a partner in our church, text Three Creeks Partner, that's one word, Three Creeks Partner, to 97000.